Welcome to this week's episode of the North Bible Church Podcast. Now, let's join our pastor as we open God's Word together. Well, good morning, everyone. Nice to see you. At my age, it's nice to be seen, right? Yeah, thank you. So my standard line, you know, Jay's your lead pastor because he's not a senior yet. I, on the other hand, was a senior pastor. Uh, But uh, it's nice to fill in. It's nice to be here. I've been uh, helping another church through transition and uh, still finishing that up, but uh, it's a privilege to be here with, with you this morning. And I do want to affirm uh, that um, all over the country, um, pastors are uh, exhausted. And, uh, you, you know, um, I've been helping this young pastor at another church uh, through this transition, and he's getting uh, people that are angry at him and leaving because they, we, they told him to wear a mask, and then there are people who are angry at him because uh, there are not enough people wearing masks, and uh, you know, so he, you, the pastor, particularly this younger pastors, can't win, right? And, uh, and you just add all of the confusion and the politics and everything else on it. And one, um, Tim Keller, pastor out of New York and a well-known writer, uh, he's estimated from just talking to people around the country that there could be up to 20% of the pastors in the country who just decide to leave ministry uh, through all of the, this last uh, you know, year and a half to two years. And so I don't think Jay's one of those. I think Jay just needs a break though, and I'm so grateful that you've given him this opportunity to uh, catch his breath, but, because it has been pretty remarkable um, for everybody. Uh, we know that, and particularly for our pastors. So thank you for doing that. Uh, when Jay reached out to me, uh, one of the things that he said, which sort of seals the deal for me, is you can do whatever you want. <laughs> and so, re- revelation, nah. Um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, uh, for me, it, that simplifies it a great deal because uh, we're going to talk about Jesus uh, we'll talk about either the Gospels or we'll talk about uh, something related to the, to the life of Christ and the Gospels. And so this morning, I want to go to a familiar passage, and I believe that we're going old school this morning with no slides. So, um, uh, but uh, uh, where is that Aaron kid, you know, uh, when you need him? But uh, uh, you'll be familiar with this passage because it relates to the gospel and it relates to how we live our lives. And, and so here's, here's one of the great things, and many of you have heard me say this before, um, but I, I'll say it again because it is my primary gift, if I need to remind you, is the gift of repetition. So I just keep saying the same things over and over again until we all you know, get it. But, um, but we all need to preach the gospel to ourselves every day, right? That we all need to be reminded every day uh, that Christ came for us too. Uh, there's a tendency to, to think that, to, to live our lives, uh, you know, we know it cognitively, but we, we live our lives as though 
um, that Christ died for everybody else. You know, we're kind of already in, um, and, and so we're, we're, we're not part of that anymore, but the truth is that, that we're all sinners saved by grace, right? That we all needed the cross, that we all needed Christ to come and to give his life as a ransom for us, and so we need to be reminded every day that that's where we start, that that's what we do, that we live because of what Christ has done, we, we live because of who Christ is in our lives, and our lives are built around the truth that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that he came, that he showed us how to live, that he died on a cross for us, that he rose again, and we have life because of Jesus. And we need to be reminded of that every single day. Because we live our lives out of love and gratitude for Jesus who loved us and gave himself up for us. And so as we look at that, we get to this really interesting place in the scripture uh, where Jesus is telling his disciples and his followers that it's time for him to ascend into heaven. It's time for him to go. He's been through the cross, we've had the resurrection, he's been with them, he's eaten with them, uh, he's lived with them, and now it's time for him to uh, ascend into heaven, and they ask him the question, they, they, are, they are amazing, because they keep asking the same question. Now Jesus is about to ascend to heaven, and they ask him the same question they've been asking him for several years. Okay, is it now the time? that you're gonna establish your kingdom. Is now the time that you're gonna put Israel back in its proper place to to sort of lead the world, to be the only superpower uh, on the face of the earth and and we're gonna be your lieutenants and your generals and all of that. Is it time now for us to do that? And so we get to this place in, in the book of Acts And it says, so when they had come together, they asked him, they asked Jesus, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Let me just stop for a second. Uh, Let me just stop right there for a quick second because this is really important to me. Now, I hope it'll be important to you, Uh, but it's really important to me because this is what Jesus says. It's not up to me to pick the times. The Father establishes the times. And I have to be reminded of this truth all the time because I wanna fix the times, right? I pray and my expectation, my hope is, okay, now, I'm praying now because I want this now. Uh, I want you to do this now, Lord. My timing is right now. Fix this, change this, Uh, whatever it is that I want you to do, I expect it to be done now, and God is reminding us that it's always about his timing in the world and the time that he has fixed uh, for the prophecies to be fulfilled, for for, uh, his return to the earth, all of those things, and we need to be reminded on a regular basis, that. and I hate to be the one to break it to you, but it's not your timing or my timing, it's the Father's timing. That's how he works. And so he, Jesus starts with that, that it's, uh, uh, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father is fixed by his own authority. But then he says this, and this is really important for us this morning, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. This is Acts, uh, uh, Acts 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. That's his solution. That's what we're gonna do. We're not gonna just sit by idly and wait for him to come back. We're not gonna just sit back and wait for him to establish that kingdom. But he said, you have a job to do. I'm giving you a calling. I'm giving you a task. Here's what I want you to do, but I'm not gonna send you out by yourself. You're gonna receive power. You're gonna have the power to do this. I'm going to fill you with my spirit, and when you speak, it will be my words coming out of your mouth, and and I'm gonna empower you to fulfill this command. I'm gonna empower you to fulfill this calling and he said you are going to be my witnesses you're going to take what you've seen you're going to take what you've experienced and you're going to take it out into the world and he explains to us what the world looks like he says first Jerusalem so they're in Jerusalem right there there that's where they that's where all most of this is taking place Um, he says it's right here in your own home that's where it starts right where you live if you want to be my witness it begins right where you are Uh, So it starts in Jerusalem, and then he says, and then Judea, and Judea is the country they lived in. Prior to that, at one point, uh, Israel, the nation of Israel, had been split in two, uh, Israel to the north and and Judah to the south, and Jerusalem was in Judah, and so he says, first in Jerusalem, then in Judah, and then, then in Samaria. And if they were listening to that, they were aghast. That was outrageous because Jews would never go to Samaria. That's a place that you would never go. If you needed to get to the other side of Samaria, you would walk an extra three days around Samaria so that you wouldn't have to step foot uh, in there because they believed that just stepping foot in Samaria would make you unclean. And so no self-respecting Jew would would step into Samaria, and here's what Jesus says. You're gonna be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and and Samaria. And and here's what he says to us. You're you're gonna be my witnesses uh, at home and in your broader community and also in places that you never thought you'd go, places that you never thought you'd be. Uh, You're going to be my witness there too. And we all find ourselves places from time to time that we never thought we'd go, that we never thought we would be. And he says, there too, you're my witness. You belong to me. You have this calling in your life. And then finally he says, and to the ends of the earth, that till the whole world has heard, that the whole world has heard the gospel, we become his witnesses. And, and we've talked about this, uh, some of us before, that that, you know, sometimes we wonder, you know, the God who created everything, the God who hung the stars and the moon, and the, the God that created the, the spin uh, of the earth so it was just perfect for, for gravity, uh, just perfect for, the, you know, how far away the sun is to get just enough light but not too much light, just enough darkness but not too much darkness. The God that did all of that, his best idea was to make us his witnesses. Uh, th- that's pretty interesting because it seems, it seems opposite to me. It seems like the God who created everything, the God with all of that power, with all of that wisdom, with, with that intellect, could have had a better idea than us. And yet he says, you'll be my witnesses. That's your calling. That's what I'm gonna send you to do. And I'm gonna send you uh, to the whole world And so this is what he does. Now he says, I want you to wait. I want you to wait 
for the power because I am turning over the job of changing the world to you. And, and I want you to wait. And so uh, this is what they did. They began to pray. And they would meet and they would pray and they would understand that the God who began a good work in you, in Philippians 1, 6, will complete it. He'll continue to work in your life. He'll complete the work that he's promised. And the church was God's great idea. The church was God's idea that they would go forward and be his witnesses. That was God's idea and that turned the world upside down. Now, we get to the beginning, we know that right after this, uh, they pray, the Holy Spirit comes, they go out, there's a great commotion because it's a Passover, it's a, not a Passover, it's Pentecost, and, and so uh, there are feasts going on all over Jerusalem. Jerusalem would usually swell to about four times its normal size uh, during feast time, so there's a huge group of people that have come from all over the place. So we have different languages spoken, we have different currencies that are being used, we have all of these things going on. Uh, it's a very cosmopolitan place at this point, and all of these people are there, and, and the Holy Spirit comes, and they come out, and Peter preaches a sermon to them, and what we hear in Acts, or what we read in Acts, is that they all heard him in their own language. Everyone understood what he was saying, and then we get the picture that 3,000 people came to Christ that day. 3,000 people responded to the message of the gospel from Peter that day and gave their lives to Jesus. And the church is birthed. That's it. Pretty powerful. In fact, if you just look at, uh, uh, if, if you just look at it, he said, you know, repent and be baptized. They baptized 3,000 people. It was, it's a pretty powerful uh, moment. Uh, and uh, it says that, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls, and the church is birthed, and then we go to the very next verse, and what we have is how that church was organized. 3,000, can you imagine you've got, you've got uh, the 11 disciples and the other followers, uh, you know, the, the disciples, you know, maybe with the exception of, you know, Matthew and a couple others were, were, were not literate people. They, they were fishermen, they were workers, they, you know, they were common people. Most people in that day were illiterate. They got their information, they got their teaching word of mouth, they got it from hearing it read, not necessarily being able to read on their own. Um, and here they are, and they have had this unbelievable moment. They don't have, there's not an MBA in the whole group. There's nobody with any particular organizational training. And now they have 3,000 people uh, that, that have come to Christ that they need to do something with. And verse 41 in Acts 2, verse 41 talks about 3,000 people coming. Verse 42 says this, and they were continually devoted all of these people, the 3,000 people that have just met Christ plus his followers, they said they were continually devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. So they organized all of these people. The first church was organized around four principles, four simple principles. It wasn't that complicated. Anybody could memorize these four principles. Anybody could get this. The four things that they organized their lives around were the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. 
Uh, and some scholars want to put it in, in, in two pairs, that they put the, the apostles' teaching fellowship in one, the, the breaking bread and prayers in the other. But I, I think they all four matter to us, and so I keep them separate. So let's just talk about the, the first one real quick. That they would meet uh, as a, a large group, and the church kept growing every day. But they would meet typically under Solomon's portico, which was on the east side of Jerusalem, and they would meet there for the apostles' teaching. And they would all gather, and they would be taught, and they would be told the stories of Jesus, right? I mean, they didn't have a, an Old Testament and New Testament. They didn't have the Bible that we have. They had the stories of Jesus, and maybe some of them were able to connect the Old Testament to what they had experienced with Jesus, but by and large, they're getting the stories of Jesus. They're, they're being told about the healings of Christ. They're being told about the message of Christ. They're being told about the wisdom of Christ, all of the things that they learned and they were taught, and they're sharing those with these people and the people were continually devoted. Their lives were organized around hearing the apostles' teaching, hearing the word of God, hearing what, was, hearing what God had given them. That's what their lives were organized around, the apostles' teaching. They, they, didn't, they, they didn't slough it off. They, they didn't you know, decide, nah, I don't think, not today. But they were continually devoted to that. Now, here's, here's a question for us. That, that maybe that we consider a, a, a little bit this morning is what, what in my life am I continually devoted to? What in my life am I continually devoted to? If somebody were to look at my calendar, if somebody were to just follow me around for a few days, what would they see that my life is continually devoted to? Well, these folks organized their lives, they rearranged their lives around these four principles. And the first is the apostles' teaching. They wanted to know everything that they could possibly know about Jesus. That was their goal. They wanted to know everything that they could possibly know about Jesus. They owed him everything. He had come, he had lived, he had healed, he had taught, he died for their sins, he rose again, he's the Christ, the Messiah, and I wanna know everything there is to know about him. I wanna know Jesus. I want to know him intimately. So they did that. They, they wanted to know Jesus. Well, the second thing that they were continually devoted to, the second thing that they organized their lives around was fellowship. Now, I just read a, a thing that talked about friendships. And, and you know, friend, real friendships are in short supply today. Did you know that? That... Uh, that, that real friendships, and particularly this article was about men, and men by midlife have very few good friends, very few close friends, that, that we live our lives pretty independently and, and pretty alone and have very few really, really good friends. And it's something that seems to be lacking in our culture today, the ability to have really close friends, to live in community like that. They were continually devoted to the fellowship. They were continually devoted to community, to being together. They would gather at Solomon's portico and they would um, hear the teaching of the apostles and then they would move out from there into the neighborhoods and into the, the different communities and they would be in each other's homes and they would talk about what they had heard and how they could apply it with each other uh, and they had that kind of lifestyle together. And we'll 
look at a little bit more in a, in a few more verses, but uh, they lived life together. They lived life in community. You know, there's that, another old saying that people grow faster in circles than they do in rows, right? You know that, right? that we need to be in circles together. We need to be talking about what does Christ mean in my life and what does that mean in my life during the week? What does that mean in my life, you know, Monday through Saturday, not just on Sundays? How do I live this out and how do we do it together and how can we help each other uh, grow? How can we help each other follow Jesus more closely? And we were made to live in community. That's what God designed for us and they were continually devoted to living that kind of life and it paid off significantly well the third thing they were continually devoted to which I find fascinating is the breaking of bread they, they were continually devoted to the breaking of bread and, and here's, here's how I see this they lived a life with some urgency uh, they were constantly reminding themselves that Christ was coming back they were constantly reminding themselves not only was Christ coming back, but what Christ had done on the cross. Uh, they were being reminded all of the time as they shared in the Lord's Supper together, uh, as they shared as, as we do, although I think it's sort of fun uh, to imagine uh, what the first century Christians would have thought of our communion today, because theirs would have been slightly different. Um, they would have had it in a home. Uh, they would have had it around the table as part of a meal that they would have celebrated the Lord's Supper together, that's how they did it. And you know, when they came together in fellowship and shared the Lord's Supper together, they called that a love feast. That's what it was. We're coming together in the name of Jesus. We're coming together in love for one another and love for Christ and we're sharing and we're being reminded of how incredibly loved we are. We're being reminded by, the, by sharing in the Lord's Supper together that Christ died for us. And if you remember what Jesus taught them, is that this is my body, which is broken for you. Whenever you eat of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then when he took the cup, he said, and the, the cup is similar, it's, this, is the, this is the covenant, uh, cup of my new covenant. Whenever you drink of it, do it in remembrance of me. And then he added, and until I return. And it was a constant reminder for them that Christ would return. In fact, in many homes, uh, uh, in the first century there, uh, they would have always have an empty place setting to remind them that Jesus was coming back, that we're not done yet. And, and because of that, they lived with a sense of urgency because most of them assumed that Christ would come back in their lifetime. You know, the Apostle Paul uh, assumed that Christ would come back in his lifetime. And he lived with that kind of urgency. I need to do everything I possibly can do because Christ could come at any moment and I wanna be prepared and I wanna do everything that he's called me to do. I wanna do everything that, that, uh, th that I'm supposed to do. And it's interesting that somehow over, <laughs> over a mere 2,000 years, we sort of lose some of that urgency, don't we? Okay, well he hasn't come, and he hasn't come, and he hasn't come. Is he gonna come? When is he gonna come? And we sort of settle into life, and we begin to live life as though he won't come in my lifetime. He hasn't come in all those other lifetimes. He probably won't come in my lifetime and I'm just gonna live my life. But you see, when they shared in the Lord's Supper together, part of what that did for them was remind them that Jesus said he was coming back 
and that there was some urgency in their life because of who Christ was. There was an urgency in their life because he said, uh, he reminded them, and I want you to be reminded constantly that I am coming back. I am coming back from my church. I'm coming back from my people. Don't ever forget, don't ever lose sight of that, that I will be back. And <laughs> here's the hot tip this morning, he will be back. That's still true. All of these years later, that's still true. And every time we share in the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that he's coming back. So they were continually devoted. <clears throat> Think about this. They organized their lives around the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the living in community, the breaking of bread, and then the last thing was the prayers. They prayed. They learned how to pray together. This was a new church, so... Uh, they, they weren't exactly sure uh, how to pray. And so I, I'm quite confident that they used the Old Testament. They used the book of Psalms. They used other places to remind them uh, how to pray, to remind them what that, uh, uh, what that was like. And then they built their prayers from there, but they learned together to pray. And we learn to pray in community, don't we? Uh, when I was a little kid, in the particular church that I grew up in, uh, my idea with pray was, you know, some guy would stand up and, and he would suddenly speak in King James language. And uh, we would, you know, trying to figure out what he's saying, um, but it was this big bellowing voice in King James language. And, and I just thought I could never do that. that is, that's not happening in my lifetime. And so I, I didn't think a lot about praying until I got older. And, and begin to, people begin to talk about praying as talking to God, praying as relationship with God and conversing with God and, and building that intimacy with the Lord and talking to Jesus and all that. And, and I began to learn to pray, but people had to help me. People had to teach me, and they taught each other how to pray. But here's the secret of it. They were continually devoted to it. They never stopped. And they learned to pray together. And I know that some of you don't like to pray out loud because it's intimidating or you might feel like you might say the wrong thing. And, and, uh, but if you're talking to a really good friend, do you really worry about saying the wrong thing? Do you really worry about using the right kind of language, the right words? I mean, do you really worry about those things or you just have, you just have a conversation with them? And, and God invites us into his conversation. He invites us into this relationship where we can have a conversation with him, uh, that, that we, we can speak to him, and we don't have to have exactly the right words because he knows our heart. We don't have to say it in a right way. It doesn't have to be in a, a certain posture or uh, anything. Some people like to raise their hands. Some people like to kneel. Some people like to sit. You know, Some people are prayer walkers. Uh, you know, right? There's a million ways to do it, but are we... Are we continually devoted to talking to the Jesus? Are we continually devoted to talking to the Lord? Is that part of our lives? Have we arranged our lives around what's most important? That's maybe the big question this morning, isn't it? And I think often we need to be reminded because there's so many things in, that just sort of pull our lives and distract us and, and call us away and we are not uh, we, we lose focus on what really matters. And we think, about, we think about things like discipleship and we make it so complicated, don't we? 
you know, that, that we have to have a certain kind of Bible study and it's gotta be taught in a certain sort of way and, and there's a certain amount of homework that has to go into it and there are cer- there's certain ways that we do it and, and we build all these things up until Bible study, discipleship, whatever you wanna call it, seems so complicated and so difficult uh, that we just sort of give up on it or we sort of think I'm gonna pass on it now and do something later, but these people continually devoted their lives to following Jesus and they built it around the apostles teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread and the prayer. And I think any of us can build those elements into our lives. We can do that. That is not so complicated uh, that we can't do it. Uh, It's not so big that we can't get our arms around it, but we can work at that. We can work at that truth. And and here's, here's what I love about this because the, uh, the early church, they did those things. They were continually devoted to those things. And, uh, and then what, what's really interesting, it says in, uh, uh, in verse 43 of Acts 2, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. So there are still miracles. There's still wild things going on. It's still just this, this incredible moment in history, the history of the church. But it says then in verse 44, and all who believed were together, they were together, and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now here's what I want you to understand because I'm not gonna, I'm I'm not, we're not taking another offering or anything uh, right now. I know some of you are, whew. Um, But but this this is what happened is that they were continually devoted to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. They began to look at how do I respond to what's going on in my life? What do I do with this, this gift that I've been given? And they're so grateful. They're so grateful for what God has done in their lives that gratitude always looks for an expression. Gratitude always looks for a way to express itself. And so as they came together in gratitude, in gratefulness for what Christ had done for them, uh, and all that they were learning, and all they were growing, and, and all they were seeing, uh, they, they, man, what can we do for each other? How can we care for each other? And so they took care of widows and orphans. They looked at people in need, and they said, look, we can help with that need. Let's, let's all do this together, and it was done not out of duty. They didn't have any giving seminars. There wasn't any of that stuff that had to be done, but it was gratitude for what Christ had done in their lives. It was gratitude for finding themselves in this family that was bigger and better and more productive than anything they'd ever experienced before and now they're thinking how do I express this now how does this get lived out in my life and maybe I can help somebody else maybe I can serve someone else and so it caught on and they cared for each other but it came out of being continually devoted to those four principles that came out of their life and their gratitude for who Jesus was it didn't come from anybody telling them that that's what they had to do it didn't come from anybody making them do it, it came out of a heart of gratitude for Jesus. And we do our best giving and we do our best serving when we do it with grateful hearts, right? I know you agree with me. But that's what we do. And it came out of a grateful heart. And so 
all who believed were together and they shared all things in common and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. That's what they knew how to do. That fit their culture. That fit the needs around them. And verse 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That they kept meeting together. They kept breaking bread together. They shared meals together. They shared the Lord's Supper together. They shared their homes together. Uh, They did all of that with grateful hearts, praising God. And do you know what happened? People all around them began to see this community, this brand new community of people built around Jesus Christ who loved each other, who cared for each other, who were living out what they were learning about Jesus in real time in their community. And people looked at that and said, man, how do I get in? How, how do I be, get to be part of what's going on with these people? And the last verse, the last half of that verse uh, in 47 says, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And the church exploded. And again, you know, we, th- there wasn't any programs, uh, there weren't any programs developed to teach them how to do this. It, it came by following those four principles. It came by doing life together. It came by sharing, okay, here's what we're learning about Jesus. Here's what we're learning about his time. Now, how do we live this out every day in our lives? What does that look like in our community? What's that look like in, among us? And let's do that and see what happens. And the result was that people were being added every day. You know what, what we do, which is so great, right? We, we make people witness. We tell you, okay, we're gonna teach you this, how to say this. We're gonna teach you how to introduce yourself to somebody. We're gonna teach you um, how, how to, to witness with somebody. And then we're gonna, we want you to, we're gonna send you out and then we want you to come back and report to us you know, how that went, and, and that's kind of what we're going to do next. And, and that didn't work uh, for them. They did life together. They loved Jesus. They organized their lives around those four principles. They lived in community. They lived in fellowship. They cared for each other, and people were ca- coming from all over the place because they wanted to be part of that. And yes, I'm sure they witnessed and I'm sure they told people the story of Jesus and I'm sure they told people how uh, they could be saved, but it came because of who they were. It became because of how they were living their lives. And you know, that's what God's called the church to be. He's called us to be a community of followers of Jesus. He's called us to be people who have reorganized our lives around teaching of God's word and, and community and fellowship and being reminded to preach the gospel to ourselves every day and to pray, to commit ourselves to prayer. One, one of my mentors used to say to me, Larry, if prayer wasn't so important, it'd be easy. And isn't that the truth? Prayer's hard. Uh, it, it, it's, it, real prayer is it, it, it's hard sometimes. We, we don't always want to pray. We don't always see the benefit of prayer, but we are called into that intimacy with Christ. We're called into that relationship. We're called to talk to him. 
to converse with him. That's what he's called us to do. That's how he speaks to us so often in our own hearts. Uh, and that needs to be a part of this whole process for us. And I know that prayer can be discouraging because we have our timing and, and we have the things that we think are really important and if they're important to me, they should be important to God, right? I mean, it just makes sense to me. And yet God says, you know what, I have bigger plans. Here, here's, here's another one of my favorite pastor says, um, says this all the time, that uh, answered prayer is what you would pray for if you knew everything God knew. And the truth is that God knows so much about what's going, so much more about what's going on in the world than we do, that he's got the, uh, the bigger plan than we do, that there's a point where we simply trust him to do his good work in the world. But we organize our lives around principles. We organize our lives around something uh, and so the, the question is, what are you organizing your life around? <coughs> uh, you know, here's another question for us. How, how do we know we're growing as a follower of Jesus and experiencing the presence of Christ in our lives? H how do we know what that looks like in our lives? What's the blueprint that we follow in order to grow in our relationship with Christ. I, I want to invite you just to consider those four principles, that if we begin to organize our lives, our schedules around those four things, what will the Lord do with those? You know, my early years, um, I tried every single time management uh, device known to mankind, right? I, I did them all, right? I did time systems here in Phoenix. I did uh, Franklin Covey, I did Covey, I did, you, you know, you, you name it. I tried all of those time management systems because somebody had told me that I needed to live a balanced life. And I didn't know what a balanced life was. So I kept reading books about balanced lives and, and how do I lead a balanced life and what does a balanced life look like? And, and I sort of thought, you know what, if I really lived a balanced life, if I had the most important thing on the top and then everything built below that, that maybe a guy like me, maybe I should be praying eight hours a day and then working two and doing whatever, you know. Maybe that's what balance really would look like for me or, or did you just break everything in equal increments and try to cover all the bases every day of your life or what do, what's a balanced life really look like? And I read a book years ago by Gordon McDonald called uh, Ordering Your Private World and, and, and it was a great book but I was feeling guilty as usual because I wasn't doing most of the things he was talking about and, uh, and, and he gets this book and then all of a sudden toward the end of the book there's one sentence that saved my life he said this he said I have to admit I didn't do these things very well when my children were young and that's all I needed to hear I had three little boys running around screaming at our house uh, life was a bit chaotic and I realized okay give yourself a break take a deep breath here because um, there are seasons in our lives when, when there's stillness, there are seasons in our lives when there's chaos, there are seasons in our lives when we're just, you know, constant busyness and action and movement and all of those kinds of things. Uh, and, and all of those things pass and all of those things change. But what does the Lord really want me to be about? And as best I can organize my life around those principles, those key things, that's what I want to do. So I simply want to ask you this morning, uh, out of Acts 2, 42 to 47, is what, what in your life are you continually devoted to? What's your life been organized around? Ask yourself that question. Be honest with yourself. Uh, wrestle with it. 
you know, go someplace far away to yell at me, but um, uh, deal with it in any way that you want, but deal with it. What's your life organized around? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for the truth of your word. Thank you for how you speak to us so faithfully. And Lord, we ask this morning that, that Lord, you would use these words to encourage, you'd use these words to challenge. Uh, you would speak to us, Lord, by your spirit. Uh, we thank you, Lord. Uh, we love you. We commit all of this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. In just a moment, we'll rejoin our pastor for today's closing thoughts. But first, we wanted to thank you for tuning in. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com. Now, some closing thoughts from our pastor. Well, we have uh, prayer partners off the side. If anyone would you like, we came with a need this morning. Um, take advantage of this opportunity to be prayed for. What a gift it is to have people in the body of Christ and the family that pray with you. So take advantage of that. Um, and uh, here's my prayer for us today. <clears throat> is when um, I, I mentioned, you know, reading that book, uh, Ordering Your Private World and what he said, and I realized also at the time that, that I was somebody's son, that I had a heavenly father, and he could see my uh, chaos, he could also see my effort, uh, he could see my heart, and he loved me in all of those things. And Christ today loves you, uh, whether it's calmness or in chaos in your life, because he's your father. And so go in peace and grace and in the love of your heavenly father. God bless. Love. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. North Bible Church is located in Scottsdale, Arizona, and exists to equip all generations to love God, love one another, and love the world. For more information about North, please visit our website at northbiblechurch.com.